Welcome to Down with the Dig. I'm Shella. And I'm Matt. This is a podcast presented by the Ohio Laborers Union to keep you connected to your labor family. This is Down with the Dig. You know, Shella, for the past, most of the past year, we've been dealing with the coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever name you want to call it. <laughs> that's, that's true. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. Absolutely. And, and we don't want to be a source of misinformation. We want to be a source of good information. So we're going to have on a guest today that has a wealth of knowledge about COVID-19. He's doing a lot of research on it, and he's providing that service to Lyuna members. And, and that's great. That's, that's good for our members, and we want them to be safe out there, and we want them to be able to make a living for their families. Absolutely. We are happy today to be joined by a person that knows a lot about COVID-19, Travis Parsons. He is the Associate Director of Occupational Safety and Health for the Laborers Health and Safety Fund of North America. Hi, Travis. Good morning. Travis, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background? All right. Uh, thank you. Um, I have uh, about 25 years uh, working in safety and safety and health. Um, I've been at the Labor's Health and Safety Fund since 2002, so that's almost going on 20 years, 18 years. Uh, at the fund, I provide a array of different safety and industrial hygiene services to affiliates of the Labor's International Union of North America, um, site safety, infection control, hazard awareness, training. I do a lot of different things for the fund. And uh, pertaining to the topic, uh, I want to hone in on that. Uh, pertaining to infectious disease mitigation, I'm currently the team lead for Lyona and the Labor Health and Safety Fund for the COVID response. I was also involved with the responses of the outbreaks during 2009 with the H1N1 swine flu and also the, uh, what I'll call it the Ebola scare in 2014. Um, additionally, I've also served as a subject matter expert for worker training, curriculum development, and I am formally trained in our uh, Lyona Trainings ICRA assessment, which is Infection Control Risk Assessment process. Um, I know some people in Ohio that have also had that training with your laborers training schools. So I did take that course. And what that is, is if you're going to do renovation in a hospital system for construction work, there's a lot of immunocompromised patients there. So you really got to have your infection control procedures down. You can't create dust. You don't want to get um, infections in the water and spread disease. So very similar to the public health effort with COVID, it's just in a hospital. So that's what ICRA is. Well, we've all lived with COVID for a while now, but for those that may not truly understand it, what is COVID-19? Well, um, start off easy, I guess, uh, unless you've been living under a rock or hiding under a rock on purpose. Uh, everybody knows what COVID-19 is, but I'll get a little more technical for you. Um, the coronavirus, or SARS-CoV-2 is the technical term, is, is a disease that's caused by, it causes COVID-19. So it's actually a virus called sars COVID 2 that causes COVID-19. An acronym I like to compare it to is AIDS. You know, HIV causes AIDS, and everybody's heard about that. So this is the same way. The actual virus is SARS-CoV-2 or coronavirus for short, and it causes COVID-19. Now, throughout the rest of this um, talk, I'm going to either say COVID or coronavirus. I'm not going to get into the technical weeds there. But it's, it's basically an infectious disease that's caused by a newly discovered coronaviruses. Uh, I don't know if you've heard or not, but there are several different types of families of coronavirus out there. And of those families, there's seven identified that actually infect humans. And um, just a little background on what COVID-19 stands for. The CO in COVID-19, CO stands for corona, the type of virus. BI stands for virus. 
and the D is disease, and then just 19 is when we first found it. Yeah, I had someone recently tell me that COVID-19, we know a lot about it because there's been 18 before. This is the 19th one, but that's not accurate, right? Well, there's families of them, and they actually divide those families into subcategories. And what the the most accurate way to say it is there's seven that infect humans, and and they all have fancy names, like SARS, different types of SARS viruses. Uh, There's one called 229E. There's another one called MERS. You might have heard of that over um, across sure. the pond. Um, so, yeah, so there's there's only seven that infected humans, but there's a whole family, and they, they group them into four different categories. So we hear different things all the time about, you know, how it's spread, how to keep from getting it, those type of things. But can you tell us what, what is, how is it actually spread? Well, there's actually three ways to spread um, this virus, and it is through the air. It is through droplets or direct contact. And then there's two different ways it spreads through the air. There's these uh, called large droplets or aerosols. So that's where it really gets a little bit difficult. So first and foremost, you can spread it from person to person by touching a surface, you know, sneezing your hand, touching a surface. And if that that virus is still infectious and live on that surface, somebody could touch it. And that's how all of our colds and flus and tuberculosis and everything else spreads throughout the history. So that's one of the major exposures. Luckily, with this disease uh, or this virus, we've found that that's less likely than we thought in the beginning. Now, the main way this is spreading, and I think one of the big culprits of why it's such a big deal, is it is airborne. It is airborne. And when I say airborne, it's very confusing to the layperson. So there's different classifications of airborne spread. And that is, uh, you know, when you're spreading it with large droplets from talking within six feet, and that's why we have the six-foot rule, you know, those droplets fall down quickly to the ground. And that's, you know, those are the large droplets. They think that's the major spreader. But then as as research is coming along, they're finding more and more it's called airborne. And that is when those particles, not just the large particles, the really small nuclear particles are hanging in the air, and they actually hitchhike on other particles like dust and, and mist and all that and stay in the air for a little bit. And the scary thing about that is they can actually travel farther and stay in the air longer. So especially in a hospital setting, I know we're talking about construction today, but in a hospital setting, that's really important because you've got ventilation systems involved. And that's the airborne spread of, that you keep hearing about. You know, to the layperson, airborne is airborne. So when I cough, when I sneeze, when I spit, when I, te- when I sing – I'm putting particles in the air. So the key difference is the size of the particles. The really small particles is airborne spread, and then the large particles are what we're normally talking about, and that's what we're talking about with this disease for the major spreader. I used to be a nurse, and I remember that we were never supposed to, like, take a sheet and kind of, you know, throw the sheet in there. You know how you shake a sheet out or a towel or something like that? Just because of what you said, that some of those diseases do, connect, you know, land on those dust particles and then where you've done that, you've sent that through the air throughout the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. That's called aerosolizing. So you're basically taking particles and making them smaller by shaking that sheet and they get caught in the air. And that's where it can really become problematic because it can spread long distances for long periods of time. Uh, Fortunately, a lot of viruses don't survive that well in that environment. But unfortunately, COVID seems to be surviving and we are seeing a lot more evidence as time goes on of airborne spread. Well, and I, that makes me wonder, too, how long is the virus alive once it leaves your body? You know, when you those particles hit the air, how long is it alive? I mean, I don't know if I really know the answer to that question. To be honest, I, 
they're still doing research on that. You hear, you know, different research and there's this thing called, you know, infectiousness. So how long is it alive to infect someone? Uh, the jury's still out on that one. And then what is the difference between COVID-19 and the flu? All right. So I'm going to try to keep this one as simple as I can. Um, while they are similar, and I understand the, the misconception or whatever you want to call it about them being similar, um, they have they have the same symptoms and similar symptoms, but they are by far not the same. Uh, when it comes down to the list of symptoms, there's a laundry list of symptoms, and they are the same when it comes to those symptoms. The difference is, is types of symptoms. And also, it's easy to think of COVID as, oh, it's just a flu. It kind of down, downplays. I think it's human nature to downplay the severity of this because we're all scared of it. We're all, we're all, there's a lot of unknowns. More science comes out. It changes. Science changes with a pandemic as you go. So, it, you know, it's human nature to like, oh, it's just a flu, not worry about it. Well, I think that's, you know, part of the problem here. And we're also finding that how the body reacts to the flu and all how the body reacts to the common flu or seasonal flu, which we're about to encounter here in our hemisphere, and versus COVID is totally different. COVID is a vascular flu, so it goes throughout your body. Initially, they were calling it like a respiratory flu because, you know, the major symptoms were pneumonia-like and they were in the lungs. But now we're finding that it's also affecting deep in your other organs. It's affecting your hearing your brain, your, li- your liver, your kidneys. So it's a vascular disease. It gets in your blood and spreads. And, and yeah, the lungs are majorly affected, but that's just one of the major organs affected. So it's really putting a tax on the healthcare system. Now, I'm going to give you a list here of things that are different. I'm just kind of, it gets really long-winded, but I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can. So these are pertaining to COVID. It spreads more easily than the flu. Your previous question about how it spreads, COVID is spreading they call it asymptomatically and presymptomatically, and it's spreading in the air. So it's, it's, it's more prevalent than the flu is. It also is being seen to cause more serious illness, and especially in certain populations. We've all heard about immunocompromised, but it's also not just immunocompromised with COVID. It's certain types of people. Uh, where More research has come out about blood types, uh, pre-existing conditions. These are all risk factors for any type of virus and the flu. But with COVID, we're finding more severe outcomes. And sometimes perfectly healthy people are getting sick and they don't know why. It also takes longer to show symptoms than the flu. And especially if I compare it to Ebola, uh, the, good, the great thing about Ebola, if there was a great thing about it, is when somebody was infectious or really sick, they were down and out laying on the ground. So you could stay away from them or they self-quarantine just automatically. That's not the case with this. People are walking around and they're infectious and they have COVID. And they either don't know it or don't feel the, the outcomes of it. So they're spreading it asymptomatically or before they get the, the, the symptoms. So it's spreading faster, longer, and easier. Um, other signs and symptoms that, uh, that are significant to COVID that are not with the flu is the one you've all heard is this uh, change in, new change in, or loss of taste and smell. Um, that is occurring. That is one of the telltale signs that you have COVID. And then to dig a little bit deeper into that, there's certain types of smells. That, uh, there's a recent research about the different types of smells that we have out there. So if you lose smell of spearmint or coconut, that's like one of the telltale signs of losing it. Some kids, it's rare, but some kids are developing what they call multi-system inflammatory syndrome, which is a, a rare but severe complication of COVID for children. Now, let's just get into a little bit more of the treatments and the things out there. When it comes to the flu, we have a vaccine. Yeah, it's not 100% effective every year, but we do have a vaccine every year for the flu. 
We currently have no vaccine. We're all hoping for it. We currently have no vaccine for COVID. There's also more FDA-approved drugs and better treatment plans for the flu, whereas for COVID, we're still figuring it out. They're getting better as the days go on, but we're still figuring it out, and there's not much FDA-approved. And then the last thing I'd like to talk about is just the, the toll on the world, not just the U.S. here, but the toll on the world. With COVID, there's, there's over a million, 1.2 almost million documented, documented deaths worldwide, and that's information from the WHO. Um, World Health Organization. That's from yesterday, October 27th, this data. And with the flu, they estimate 300 to 600,000 people upwards of maybe 700,000 a year, depending on the year, die of the flu. So that right there, it's three, four times more deadly when it comes down to it. I'd like to end with that. You talked about some of the misconceptions between the flu and COVID. Are there any other misconceptions out there about COVID? Oh, boy, you guys like open up those can of worms, huh? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'll start out with, uh, you may or may not have heard this concept, but during pandemics, we have what's called, or what what experts call an infodemic. And what an infodemic is, it's a play on words with a pandemic. It's an excessive amount of information about a problem that typically is unreliable, spreads rapidly, and makes the solution more difficult to achieve. So we definitely, this is a prime example of what they call an infodemic. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there and all I can say is go to the reliable sources. Don't always believe what you hear. Don't always believe what you read on the internet. Check your sources and get reliable sources. Another thing pertaining directly to construction workers. And this is one I can't, I can't emphasize enough. When you have a face covering or mask, whatever you want to call it on, don't have that false sense of security. You're not uh, superhuman. So if you have that face or mask or even a respirator on, you're not foolproof. It's better than nothing, but it's not a panacea, a panacea or, or what they call silver bullet. Everybody wants that with a disease like this, or they want one fix all with it. It's a pandemic. Those things don't exist during a pandemic until we figure it out. So don't assume just because you have a mask on that you're protected. The best thing you can do is social distance or physical distance have good hygiene, washing your hands, washing surfaces, and just stay out of crowds and, you know, keep that six-foot rule in effect as much as possible. Now, when we get into some other misconceptions, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, we all know that, I don't want to get into politics too much, but we all know we're a polarized society. So there's two, two schools of thought with, with this COVID. It's one school of thought that, uh, you know, it, it's the worst thing in the world, for, you know, it's going to kill us all. Well, that's not absolutely correct either. And then there's other school thought is, oh, it's no big deal. It's just the flu, as we just talked about. And we're very polarized in that. Well, that's getting in the way of the science, and that's getting in the way of public health measures. So it seems like those two schools of thought are really dividing our country, and you have people that are pro-mask and people that are anti-mask. Masks are helpful. They do work. They're what they call source control. Again, they're not a panacea. They don't, they're not an end-all, be-all. But they do help curb the spread of the virus. So we're very divided, and that's part of the problem. And then I think we'll talk a little bit later when we talk about PPE mask a little bit later, but the whole debate between mask and what's called an N95 respirator. And another misconception out there is the general public using of gloves. Now, if you're, if you're a worker and you're highly trained on what, what gloves to wear, how to take them on, how to put them, uh, take them off, they call it doffing and donning. You know, there's protocols to do that. By all means, wear gloves on a job site. 
But for the general public, wearing of gloves actually may be a bigger problem than we might actually be help spread the disease by wearing gloves. So gloves are not a, a viable option for this. That's a misconception. Um, there's also, I'll get down into a little bit more granular. Uh, there's no evidence that the virus is spread through water supply, which is good. That was a misconception early that the, the virus was getting in our water system. There's no evidence that that's, that that's happened. Another thing that during a pandemic that we have to do is we have to operate with what they call operational definitions. And one of those is the six foot rule. Uh, another one is what we call close co contact. So we're having to operate with these protocols that aren't 100% proven. So whenever you're operating, the, the science changes and you got to follow science. So if you heard last month do this and then this month do that, people get really confused really easily. And which one do you follow? So, and then earlier, the earlier question about transmission, I'll, I'll end with that. Transmission is difficult to understand when you're talking about the three types, contact, droplet, and airborne. So that's another misconception out there. Well, we'll, we'll the more and more science comes out, we're finance all three. And then it makes you think, well, that six foot rule, <laughs> is that really useful? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, and, it's and it's better than nothing. And the six foot rule is a great recommendation. That's what they call an operational definition. and hopefully the, the theory about the large particles is correct. That's the major spreader. And that therefore those particles are dropping within that six foot. I know there's a lot of studies out there about, you know, if you catch the coronavirus and recover, are you immune? Where do we stand on the latest research in that area? Yeah, they call that herd immunity and, and they're testing for antibodies. They call it serological testing uh, for the technical word. But yeah, so Unfortunately, the more science and the more research that comes out on that is the antibodies are not staying in our system as long as we, th we would hope or would think. But there is another concept that you're probably uh, referencing called herd immunity. So that basically, the, the, the simple way of thinking about it is, is 70 to 80% of the population either gets exposed to it or becomes inoculated from the virus. If we get to that 70, 80%, along with the protocols that we're talking about with social distancing, hand washing, and use a PPE and uh, masking and all that, we get to herd immunity. So you become, you know, the virus doesn't go away, but you've essentially eradicated it from existing society. The problem with that is it's not throw caution into the wind and have everybody be exposed and develop the antibodies. That's just one piece of herd immunity. To get herd immunity, you need a vaccine. You need the people that have the antibodies, and you need the protocols that we're all practicing with physical distancing, hygiene, and hand washing. I know when you were talking about the gloves, I've, I know I've been to restaurants or stores or somewhere, and you see the workers with gloves on, but they're handling all the money, and then they're handing you your food, and it's all with that same pair of gloves, and it's like... Exactly. Uh, That's yeah. why it may be a big... You know, we call that in the safety world, unintended consequences of safety interventions. So, yeah, when, again, when you wear gloves, <laughs> you're right. They would have to be taking off and removing gloves in between every person they encounter. They're mm -hmm. better off just washing their hands and having good hygiene and other practices. But now if you're in a worker setting where you're, where, you know, like a hazardous waste job or you're in a hospital where you're in a care setting where you are taking on and putting these gloves off repeatedly in between patients or in between jobs, by all means, wear them. You're trained on how to do it. You're trained on how to take them off and put them on. You have plenty of supply. But when it comes to the general public, the gloves are just not the way to go. I had read that like the forecast for like global construction growth um, has been revised from like 3.1% down to like 0.5%. Is that, 
with with that going on, you know, I know governments and public authorities and are you know expected to focus more of their spending on um, infrastructure, you know, to try to you know invigorate the economy. But what does that mean for our members and our signatory contractors? Well, I can only speak with to LIUNA, to Labor's International Union North America um, members, because that's who I work for. That's who I know the most about. But the construction industry has about 15 to 16 different trades out there. And that's just the unionized part of the construction industry. The non-unionized part of the construction industry gets a whole, there's a whole lot of different workers out there, temp workers and everything else. But I'm going to speak on behalf of Labor's. So luckily, again, we are what they have labeled a lot of times essential workers. So I, I hear you what you're saying. Uh, at first, when, a, when the virus first came out, when we really started spreading, they did shut down a lot of our jobs, especially if they weren't known or labeled as essential. But a lot of those are opening back up. And But there is a concern to your question about the industry as a whole, because if the virus, I mean, the numbers are higher now than ever. If it keeps spreading, they might shutting. They might start shutting things back down, except for essential work. So I I do hear that concern about about jobs shutting down. What are some of the responsibilities of the employer to help protect their workers when when they're dealing with the COVID on the job site? All right. So when it gets down to it, it's it's always the responsibility of the employer to provide a healthy and safe work environment from known or anticipated hazards. Well, in this circumstance. We obviously know about COVID. We know it's a hazard. It's out there. We're trying to control it. So it's it's the employer or the contractor's responsibility to provide a safe and healthy work site. Plain and simple. That's called the general duty clause. They call it 5A1 of the OSH Act from 1970. That's with all hazards. And, and in particular, we're talking about COVID. But remember, the last thing is OSHA regulations and laws and CDC guidelines are just minimums for worker protection. Travis, we thank you so much for joining us today. You have a lot of really good information, and we'd love to have you back to talk even more. Is that okay? Absolutely. Well, that was certainly a lot of information about COVID. Yes, it was, and a lot it cleared up a lot of misinformation that I had myself. But I think we need to go deeper in how that really impacts our construction industry. So we're going to have Travis back. That sounds great. If you have any questions for us, please contact us at talk at downwiththedig.com. Any questions about coronavirus, any show suggestions, or anything else you want to talk about. And remember to like us, subscribe to us, share us, and tell all your friends. Thanks for joining us today. Be safe out there. Well, now you're up to date. Views and comments expressed on this podcast may not be those of Ohio Labor's District Council or LIUNA. Thanks for listening, and let's be careful out there.